Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Why don't you take a seat? Go with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 14 to 21. I've never preached from this passage before, but this week God really gripped my heart with it and uh, want to bring it to you. Verse 14. Now they, that is the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And He cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive, yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? I want to speak to you today on the subject, miracles are normal. Miracles are normal. Uh, For me, growing up in the church, being a pastor's kid, I learned very quickly and early on that I'm in relationship with the God of the miraculous. And I was privileged as a young child to be exposed to some contradictions and paradoxes in life that forced me to depend upon miracles for survival. And more importantly, when I came into ministry, planted a church, I had no choice but to depend and to trust God that He would bring the miraculous about to build the ministry. When we planted a church back in 2006, we planted with 13 people and $2,000. And um, and a kiss on the cheeks. And the, the person who gave us that $2,000 said, sink or swim. And so he had a gift of encouragement. And so we felt really exhorted and encouraged in the Lord. But you know what? Sometimes the very thing that you interpret as being a disadvantage is actually the very thing and a catalyst that God uses to teach you how to move in the supernatural in the Kingdom of God. Don't despise the day of lack. Don't despise the day of small things, but look to the fullness of who God is. And one of the experiences that set into motion a series of miracles when it came to finances in the life of the church was um, we needed $10,000 to purchase a second-hand truck, a used truck to transport all of our production equipment around in. And the budget was tight in the church. We'd already been to the church with, for offerings for different things. And, and uh, I, I didn't feel comfortable or released to go back to the church and ask them to give towards this. And so I was on my office floor praying and asking God, um, more as a beggar than anything else, God, would you provide for us? And in that moment, God spoke and He said, by this time tomorrow afternoon, you'll have the $10,000 in your hand. And as I sat there pondering that thought, the Lord said, now go and make an appointment with this person. He gave me the name of the person. I'd never met them. I didn't know if they knew me, didn't have a relationship with them, but I rang up his office and I asked for an appointment and the appointment was set just one hour before that deadline where the Lord said, by this time tomorrow. 
I was on the way to the office and the Lord said to me, don't ask for money. Don't share about any needs in the church. Don't prophesy over them that they're gonna give you money. Just go and build a relationship. Often we try to add more than what God has asked us to do. And so I sat down and after an hour, uh, nothing was happening. It was a great conversation. Got to know this man and he's a believer and find out about his life. And then I thought, okay, I've missed God. But then right there in that moment, he, without any prompting, any idea of the need, he called for his secretary to bring his checkbook and she brought the checkbook in in front of my eyes as my heart rate was at about 180 beats per minute. He writes out a check for $10,000 in front of me. I look at my watch and it was five minutes to the deadline where God said, by this time tomorrow, you'll have the money in your hand. As you can imagine, my faith was at an all time high because I'd seen God by His Word make something out of nothing. That then set into motion in my own heart a process where two years later we needed $100,000 to fit out a part of the building. Well, now my faith has to rise and I'm believing that God is gonna move. So we, again, we went to prayer and God, that's why prayer needs to be your first response, not your last resort. We delay the miraculous because we go to prayer last rather than first. I said, God, what do you wanna do? He said, I want you to run from Sydney to Melbourne to raise the money. I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. But we repented of that and three months later, launched out from Hillsong Church in Sydney. Two weeks later, 1,172 kilometres and more importantly, $160,000, right? God has different ways and means of getting to you what you need for the ministry and the mission, the call that you have. So now I've gone from believing for 10,000 to 100,000. Then there was a moment in our lives where we were believing for over a million dollars and to cut a long story short, God comes through on that. Now we're in a season of our life here leading the church where in order for the vision to become a reality over the coming decades, we need hundreds of millions of dollars. And yet I have faith to believe that the same God who worked in that situation and worked in this problem and in that issue is the same God that's gonna work in this, right? Once you've seen supernatural supply in your life, you've lost every right to begin any thought process with lack. Every test of faith requires a renewal in our thinking to approach it from a kingdom perspective. One of our kingdom culture values is miracles are normal. That's a bold statement. And yet you need to understand if you've never seen a miracle, you're gonna find that really hard to believe because you have no history, you have no evidence in your life, you have no testimony of that statement, which is based on the Word of God to actually become a reality in your life. However, I would say this, it's really dangerous to develop a theology around the absence or lack of something. God has not asked you to become a professional explainer of why something didn't happen. He's asked you to look to Jesus as your primary model and example for how to live the kingdom life. Hebrews 12.2 says, laying aside the weights and the sin which clings so closely, running with endurance, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
How did the heroes of the faith and the great cloud of witnesses and the great hall of faith do what they do? They look to God. They look to the pattern of who God was. And for us as followers of Jesus, we've got to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith. Because it's in Him we live and move and have our very being. And so throughout the Gospels, Jesus confronts the disciples thinking, as He does in this passage, not to shame them, but to actually train them to think like God. To think how Jesus thinks so that they can access kingdom realities. When the Holy Spirit comes to correct or rebuke or challenge our thinking, and sometimes He uses His servants, Ma, to, to, to challenge your thinking. When He does it, it's not to condemn you. It's not to punish you. It's to upgrade you and call you higher to begin to think like Jesus. Because He has plans, He has purposes in mind that unless we go through a process of renewing our mind, we won't be able to access. And one of the things that Jesus confronts the disciples with is that natural thinking can't advance a supernatural kingdom. The disciples in verse 14, it says they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So here the disciples are thinking about a lack of bread when the bread of life is standing in front of them. You see the contrast. Just a little bit before, Jesus has just supernaturally multiplied five loaves for the 5,000, seven loaves for the 4,000. He's fed the multitudes with little and the disciples are still thinking in the natural about their stomachs when Jesus wants to feed them spiritual truth. The Bible says in Romans 14, 17, the Kingdom of God isn't a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Meaning the things that are seen are temporary and transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. God is not against eating and drinking. He gave us those gifts to sustain us, to enjoy. We're gonna enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb for all eternity. We're gonna have a feast for all eternity and no calories or sorrow shall be added to you. But I'm here just to tell you that if you are living your life based upon what you see, you're gonna miss the kingdom. If we're gonna access the kingdom of God, we need to think differently to how the kingdom of the world thinks. Particularly in a climate where there is pressure to conform to a fear-based approach to life. Romans 12, two says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, not the removal, the renewal. The world often looks at the church and says, you've lost your minds. No, we just had our minds renewed to think differently to a default response of life that is informed by fallenness and lostness in being in sin. Those who are dead and lost in sin can't interpret, understand or explain spiritual truths of the kingdom. That's why you have to be born again so that your eyes are open to see kingdom truths. The renewed mind is God's heart to invade this planet with His will. As our mind comes into alignment with how God thinks and what 
God's Word teaches, all of a sudden we become a conduit and a vessel for God's will to be established on earth. The age old question, what is God's will? The best answer and definition of that is Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven that we've got to allow God to renew our minds with. What's going on in heaven that needs to be transferred and translated to earth? When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, He's saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is now breaking in to the earthly realm. And for the best picture of what that will manifested and applied looks like in the earthly realm, we've got to look to the model of Jesus. Jesus not only came to save us from our sin, but to give us a brilliant picture of who the Father is. And so as we look to Jesus, we see how that will of the Father and what is in heaven should be applied on earth. And as we look to Jesus and we see how Jesus interacted and ministered to people who are sick and lost and broken and blind, our minds get renewed and then we begin to become conduits and vehicles that can access the kingdom of heaven in our daily lives. There are two mindsets that Jesus warns us of that will block the miraculous in the kingdom of God. And he deals with these two mindsets in the text. He says in verse 14, uh, sorry, 15, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We have got to guard against a religious and political mindset that is persuading people in culture to think a certain way. And it can persuade us in the church to think a certain way. You see, these two influential mindsets are very prevalent in society today and often prevalent in the church and they can block us from kingdom truths and realities. Now, when Jesus speaks about leaven, He's speaking about worldview, ways of thinking, paradigms. A paradigm is a way of thinking. So when we talk about paradigm shift, we're talking about shifting our thinking or our approach to life. Your thoughts become ultimately your world that you live in. So, so any change or transformation that's gonna come into our lives needs to begin firstly in the heart and then it begins to impact our thinking as we are exposed to the truth. You see, just as in cooking, the pressure of heat will always raise and activate whatever leaven or mindset we are operating out of. So when the pressure of COVID pandemics and dynamics, the pressure of stress, the pressure of the heat of life comes upon us, a light is shone and exposes how we operate, what we think about, what informs our life choices and values. Your thoughts will either take you closer to the kingdom or move you further away from kingdom thinking. And there are two, Jesus says, key Spirits, two key ways of thinking we've got to guard against. The first is the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees sort of influenced at times by a, a religious spirit, an approach to life that believes in God, but sees God as impersonal and powerless. That God, faith in God is figurative 
not relational. That he's distant and disconnected. And unfortunately and tragically throughout church history, this mindset of religion has been at front and centre in the church. And so you can attend church and you can say you belong somewhere, but faith in God and your walk with God largely be disconnected, impersonal and figurative. It's just something that you have mental assent to, but it has no effect in your life. That's pharisaical thinking. It's thinking if I do A plus B equals C, and it's all about observance of ritual without relationship that will inform a certain outcome. The second leaven that Jesus said to guard against is the leaven of Herod. Herod was a politician. He was a king. And so he operated at times out of a political spirit. And this is where we don't mind you having a belief in God as long as you don't bring God into the equation as a determining factor in decision-making in life. So you can believe in God. That's your prerogative. That's up to you. But just don't let your faith in God shape how you approach your life, what decisions you make, what happens in a culture and a society. We'll take care of that because we know better than God. We're not into that faith thing. We're into other things, but, but that's okay. But don't you dare bring faith into this conversation. That's a political spirit. That's a political approach to life. And the common denominator between them both is both are influenced by the fear of man. They're focused on appearance management. How will this make me look to people? We see this both in the Gospels with the Pharisees and with Pontius Pilate. The Pharisees wouldn't dare answer certain questions from Jesus. One, because they didn't want the crowd to turn on them and they didn't want to look bad. So we'll just reserve our perspective and opinion. We won't say something about that. But then secondly, Pontius Pilate crucified Jesus with a lack of evidence, nothing to convict him of because of the pressure of the political climate of the Jews upon Pontius Pilate that they would complain to Caesar that he kept someone alive who was claiming to be king of the Jews. And so because of the fear of man, that fear informed their decisions. The chief motivator for many decisions in religion and politics is the fear of man. And the fear of man... It's like the enemy that masquerades himself as an angel of light. It masquerades as wisdom. It sounds appealing to the fallenness of humanity. Fear will always attract whatever information is needed to legitimise its existence. Fear feeds itself. Fear attracts the right information to legitimise the fear. So too does faith. Fear and faith are like divine magnets that attract certain information to justify its existence. The leaven of the kingdom of God in Matthew 13, the third leaven, is opposite to both. Jesus says this in Matthew 13, 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, way of thinking, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. In other words, the leaven of the kingdom is not fueled by religious spirit or political spirit or any other spirit. It's fueled by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, John 16 tells us, guides us into knowing the truth as King Jesus defines it. 
And that determines what every area of life in the Kingdom of God is supposed to look like. I don't know about you, but I'm not taking my cue from the Spirit of the world. I'm taking my cue from the Spirit of God. What does God's Word say about that? I may not understand that. I may struggle and wrestle with that, but that's part of doing the journey and following Jesus. I'm gonna wrestle with the hard text. I'm gonna wrestle with what God's Word says and not say it's all too hard. I'll just be a sheep and follow the world. No, I am a sheep that is following the chief shepherd, the King of kings and Lord of lords. What does King Jesus define truth to be? He said, I am the way. If you're looking for a way, Jesus is the way. I am the truth. If you're looking for what truth is, look to Jesus. It's a person, not a philosophy. I am the life. You're looking for eternal life or purpose in life. Jesus is the doorway. Any thought that begins with lack can't access the miraculous power of the Kingdom of God. And yet we are conditioned in our culture and society to think lowest common denominator, where do we begin? And so we often confront challenges and problems based upon our lack rather than the fullness of who God is. The Bible says this in verse 16, they began, the disciples, discussing with one another the fact that they had lack, no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? In other words, you need to understand that any thought process that begins with what we lack will have to be repented of at some point. Why? Because God can't work with it. God can't build His kingdom purposes with a thought around lack. You cannot build anything of substance in the kingdom of God when it is focused on lack. Lack may be the reality, but you need to begin to think. Jesus is telling the disciples to think beyond their lack to the fullness of what He just did, right? Lack makes a poor foundation for human reasoning. People say, well, you can't go and plant 200 new churches. It's impossible. How are you going to do that? Well, Jesus says it. That settles it. If He's said it, He's going to provide for it. He's going to make a way for it. Once you get the revelation, faith rises up and then He gives you the strategy, the insight, the ideas, the people, the team, and together we go change the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. God's moving. God, God's purposes don't stop just because global pandemics have hit us. He doesn't say, oh, it's all okay, church. I'll just sit back in my jacuzzi and just watch you all just fuss around and feel fearful and afraid, which is a very real emotion. And I'm just gonna sit back and just wait for all this to pass. No, God is on the job. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's doing things that you can't see right now. What no eye has seen nor ear has heard, God has prepared for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. The Spirit will reveal to you. The Spirit searches it out. So don't draw conclusions based upon the absence of something. Look to the fullness of who God is and say, how should I approach this problem? How should I think? How should I uh, respond to different perspectives in media and society? What does God's Word say about that? Not what is the prevailing opinion of the culture? You see, people around us may applaud our apparent common sense 
say, oh, that's very reasonable. That sounds like common sense. You've got to ask the question, common to what kingdom? Because often the very thing we applaud is, oh, that sounds reasonable. God's like, no, nah, that's not truth. That's not how I multiplied loaves and fishes. That's not how I raised people on the dead and how Peter walked on water and how I'm gonna advance my kingdom across the earth. You see, thinking from a kingdom perspective is approaching life from posture of faith as a child of God. I'm a son of God. You're a son and daughter of God. We are children of God. Therefore, if He has not not withheld anything from us, given us His very best, how will He not also graciously give us all things? But if you begin to approach God as a beggar, just hoping that God will somehow invade your contradiction and you're hoping and wishing and begging and I've been there and I get that and I understand the desperation of that. What we start to do is we're approaching things from a natural perspective with a begging spirit rather than the spirit that says, I am a son or daughter of God. I have an access. He's given me His name. I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. He's restored dominion, authority through the cross. I I am now a child of God. I'm gonna be blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I'm gonna spend all eternity outworking the goodness of God in my life. You come at it from that perspective, it changes how you approach your problem. Do you approach Jesus as Saviour, my rescuer alone, or do you approach Jesus as Lord and I have a relationship with Him? God does rescue us. Without His salvation, where would we be? But He wants to relate to us in the kind of relationship that we become a conduit and a doorway for kingdom purposes to be established in our lives. Jesus said, why do you reason that you have no bread? Why did you start your thinking with lack? When I just multiplied the loaves and the fishes to feed thousands of people, why are you still thinking in the natural disciples? I need you to begin to think like kingdom. And this is what we learn. If a miracle doesn't shift our perspective to begin to think like Jesus, we've missed the point. The miracles and, and that God brings into our lives, God intends not to simply serve the need, but give you a brilliant picture of who God is. Well, if God is that and He did that and this work, thank you God for the provision or the, 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 the healing or whatever it may be, but now I'm getting to know who you are based upon the truth of your Word. Our experience of the supernatural is supposed to train us to think like Jesus. Thinking like Jesus begins with understanding that starting with more is not necessarily an advantage in the Kingdom of God. How do I know that? Because Jesus compares the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. He says this, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They answered 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? I'd be like, no, I don't get it. (laughs) God's trying to speak to you at times. You're like, no, I don't see it. I don't hear it. God, open my eyes because I can't see this. You ever read the Bible at times and you're like, I'm not getting it. Like, welcome to the club, all right? 
we're all there. And if I'm the preacher and pastor, and sometimes I don't get it, all of us are gonna be in those moments where we just don't get it. But this is where God, we ask God, we journey with God and He illuminates things to us to help us. What's Jesus talking about? When Jesus fed 5,000, He started with less. He started with five loaves, but He ended up with more, 12 baskets left over. When Jesus fed 4,000, He started with more, seven loaves, but He ended up with less, seven baskets left over. So when He fed the most people, He started with the least amount of food, but He ended up with the most leftovers. Starting with more isn't always an advantage in the Kingdom of God. So don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise the little in your hand. Don't despise the the little act of obedience that God asks you to do. You say, but God, I want this, I see this. You prophesied this, you promised this, I see this. But it always begins with what you have, however big or however less, but more is not always an advantage. Don't despise the day of small things. In the kingdom of the world, starting with more is always an advantage. Well, you don't have this, you don't have this, so you can't do that. But if you get that, then you can do this. Not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we belong to an upside down kingdom. God says to Moses, speak to the rock and the rock produces water. The jar of oil never runs out and feeds a prophet and the widow and her son. The wine runs out and Jesus looks at the water and turns it into wine. Lazarus dies and Jesus waits four more days until the odour, the stink and the whole brokenness of the situation is at climactic height and Jesus turns up and goes, Lazarus, come forth. It's an upside down kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, God chooses you not because of your strengths, but because of your weaknesses. So I must be the most foolish, weak person in the room if God's chosen me and us to lead this thing, truly. Because 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says, God's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. Why? So that for all eternity, you and I will give glory to God at the surpassing greatness of His riches, of His glory and His kindness and His grace and say, no one can receive anything unless heaven gave it to them. You see, it's one of the reasons why I really believe that God can use my life and use your life is because I have a revelation. It's not about me. Any platform or opportunity God gives you is not about you. I didn't do anything to earn it. It's all by God's sovereign grace and my faith in His call and what He's done. And so when when that is settled, God's like, finally someone I can use who's not consumed with them and their platform, but they now become a conduit for my kingdom to actually flow through. The more you think that your effort, your strength, your intelligence, your study has secured for you what you have, you're actually partnering with the leaven of pride. It's a mindset that blocks the Kingdom of God. But as you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, at due time, He exalts you, not for you, 
but for kingdom purposes. We make our lives about all these other things. He says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and then all these other things will be added as secondary priorities. That's not even what it's about. And so people who love things end up using people where to actually love God, love people and use things for His kingdom purposes to be accomplished. But you've got to come into a place of revelation to understand of who you actually are in God, that God will choose you and use you based upon your weakness so that His glory will be seen and that you'll have to depend upon Him rather than look what I've done, look how it works. And God says, I want to use you and, and God can do whatever He wants as He did with Pharaoh, but often He'll bypass that because there's no access. Is this helping anyone today? You've got to encourage me here. This is the second of five services. You see, what Jesus is trying to teach us and build into the disciples is awareness of their identity as sons of God. And their authority in the Kingdom of God is not based upon what they have or don't have, but who lives inside of them. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm convinced you could put a faith-filled, spirit-filled, Bible-believing person in the middle of a desert with them and only God and they will come out victorious every single time. I know because I was one of them. God is just looking for somebody a son and a daughter to contend and believe that He is who He says He is and He can do what He says He can do. And He says, I will come. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights of whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. And when you get convinced of the goodness and glory of who He is, He comes and alights upon your life and says, I wanna use you. I can do something through you. You see, Jesus is teaching the disciples, He's teaching us the key that unlocks the miraculous is a renewed mind. It's not just a surrendered heart of faith, it's thinking like God. Having eyes, Jesus said, don't you see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Again, remember, Jesus doesn't challenge you and me to shame us, but to invite us to greater intimacy and faith-filled dependence. The doorway to more revelation, seeing as God sees, is conversion. Unless you are born again, John 3, 3, you won't see the Kingdom of God. You can't expect someone who has not surrendered their life to Christ and been forgiven of their sin and be regenerated in their heart to see what you see when you come to church on Sunday. They can't see it. They can't access it. But in the context of relationship, as we journey with them and they look at our lives, I believe the Spirit of God gets into that relationship. The Spirit of God gets into that conversation and begins to work on their hearts because the Spirit of God is wooing and drawing people to Himself. And when they walk through that doorway of conversion and they get saved, it's like the spiritual blinders and blinkers are lifted and they begin to see. I don't understand it all. I can't make sense of all, but I know that Jesus is the Son of God. 
I know that He's real. I know that He's alive. I know that He's got a purpose and a call for my life. And that, and that revelation, that seeing and hearing capacity begins to grow in their life. But there comes a time where sometimes as a believer, your eyes of faith can't see and your ears can't hear what God is trying to say. Ever been there? Well, that's where the disciples are. They spent in the flesh with time with Jesus. He's just performed a miracle multiplying the loaves. They still can't see. They still can't hear. And Jesus adds this little phrase, do you not remember? So when you can't see and you can't hear, you've got to remember what God has already done, not just in your life, but in the history of His Word. Psalm 119, 111 says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever. Notice it does not say my testimonies. It says your testimonies. God, what you have done, whatever miracle I read about in the Bible is now part of my inheritance as the offspring of Abraham, the son of faith. I believe that just as water came out of the rock and the sun stopped still and Lazarus came forth and the garrison demoniac was set free and the lame beggar was healed and blind eyes were opened and a man walked on water, that is my heritage. That is my inheritance and I am going to live based upon the revelation of that and not just what I see in the moment. Where God is wanting to take us as a church, it's going to require supernatural vision to see who God really is and begin to think like God. Otherwise, we won't be able to access the fullness of what God wants to do. You can't say a value, an aspirational value like miracles are normal, but not change your thinking. We have to change our thinking. We have to go through a metamorphosis, a process of being transformed in the renewal of our mind to begin when we encounter a problem and an issue, immediately we see solutions. Why? Because we're seeing and hearing and remembering who God is and what He's done. It's interesting when the centurion came to Jesus, It was his understanding, his thinking, his paradigm of authority that became the banks of a river, the context that the miracle was released in his household. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you please come to my household and heal my servant? And so Jesus starts wandering along to go to his house and stops him and he says, no, no, you don't need to come because I've seen you, I've watched you, I've seen how you work. I too am a man under authority. And I say to this one, go and do this. And he does go and do that to that one. And they do. And you're a man that has spiritual authority to call those things that are not as if they were. Just say the word and it'll be done. And Jesus steps back and goes, not in all of Israel have I seen such faith. Hello, somebody. Based upon a renewed mindset, an understanding, a revelation of who Jesus is and what spiritual authority is, the miracle became a reality. How do we view God? How we perceive God, how we relate to God determines how how much of the kingdom we access into our daily lives. And the renewed mind is the most consistent way to activate the miraculous. I was praying for someone just after the first service and it's like, God, what do you want me to say? Immediately when I pray for someone in need or sickness, God, what do you wanna do? And when I can't see or can't hear straight away, I remember. This is how you worked in the past. 
This is how you work here. You're, you're opening blind eyes. You're healing bodies that people can walk again without walking sticks. You, you, you're doing miracles. So I can believe that you're going to do a miracle right here. You see where I'm going with this? So if miracles are going to become normal, we've got to have our minds renewed and transformed by the truth of who Jesus is. And if you begin to think like this, then when contradictions and challenges come your way, you don't immediately default to the negative and conclude it's the end of the world. You say, what is God doing here to show Himself strong on my behalf? What if every contradiction was just another opportunity for God to show off who He is in your life? But what we do is we look at it, and I, I get it because my default apart from Christ and renewed mind, is the default to the complaint of the problem. I get it, I'm with you. But I hear the Spirit of God saying, it's time to rise, Newman Church. It's time to lift your thinking. It's time to begin to approach your life on a different plane and realm because that which God is calling us to do in this coming generation, over the next few decades, if we're gonna truly advance the Kingdom of God and not advance a brand name of a church, there's a fundamental difference. There's a fundamental difference. We are not here to advance a brand name, okay? It may have Numa on it, but that the goal isn't to advance Numa. The goal is to advance the rule and reign of God across the planet. You can't do that. You can you can start more new churches and put the name on it, but that's not necessarily advancing the kingdom. Hate to burst the bubble. If we're going to advance the kingdom. We've got to think like kingdom people. We've got to embrace kingdom culture. We've got to keep looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. And I tell you, I am committed to keep bringing your attention through people to Jesus. It's about Him and His glory and His honour. What did Jesus show us? Because it's in Him we live and move and have our very being. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? I wanna pray for you and pray that this Word would not just interest you, attract you for a moment, make you curious, but that this Word would transform you. All across this room right now, if you're facing something in your life that you need the intervention of the Kingdom of Heaven, the miraculous, and you've been looking at the problem, looking at the mountain, looking at the issue, going, I'm just depressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious, panicking, I'm nervous, I'm in grief, I don't know what to do. Look to Jesus. He's your model, He's your example. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Him, we live and move and have our very being. Why don't you just raise your hands all across this room right now. Father, we come to You and we thank You for Your presence in this room right now. And I'm asking, oh God, in this moment that God, the truth of this Word would script our hearts, change our hearts, shift our focus, 
that we would begin to see You for who You really are. And as we do that, You would show us who we really are, sons and daughters of the Most High God. The Father, we would begin to access the truths of Your Kingdom by faith because, oh God, we're beginning to see and hear and perceive and remember that the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel who parted the Red Sea and brought them out of Egypt, delivered them and into the Promised Land is the same God that is with us today. And Your Spirit is wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of whom the increase of Your government, there will be no end. And so King Jesus, by the power of Your Spirit, would You come and would You begin to transform our thinking? Would You begin to break the mould of whatever pattern of thinking we're being conformed to in this world and would You begin to help us to see our lives, to see our world as You see it. God, You are coming back to make a new heaven and a new earth. You're coming back to make all things new. And so Father, we come into alignment, we come into faith, we come into belief, Oh God, that if You be for us, who dare be against us? Come and confound the wisdom of this age with the foolishness of the living sacrifice of our lives, that You would come and move, that You would come and save and restore, that You would come and transform by the power of Your Spirit and the glory of the Name of Jesus. We bring to You every problem, every issue, every challenge, both corporately and individually. And Father, we present them to You at that table of fellowship. And we say, God, come and remind us again that as You worked in Israel, as You worked in the early church, as You worked in our past, so too You neither slumber nor sleep. You are on the job and You are going to fulfil Your purposes for our lives, for this church. Let the cry of faith rise up in this house. Let the spirit of worship break out. Let praise be on our lips. Let the cry of war be on our hearts as we look to our King and our Lord. That victory is near. It's just over the horizon. It's found in You. As we look to the hills, where does our help come from? It comes from the Maker of heaven and earth. Come on, wherever you are, why don't you begin to sing? Why don't you begin to worship? Why don't you begin to cry out? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. 
Thank you for listening.